So uh, you may have noticed as we've gone along that one of the here uh, each, I should say, the Sundays of Advent has a theme. Uh, the first week, if you remember, we talked about promise. Last week, we talked about hope. And this week, as you heard Vicki read, as she was down there, I guess, instead of up here, um, we focused on joy. It's a day that's intentionally inserted into the liturgy, uh, a day really unlike either of the first two that uh, stands out like that rose-colored candle does amidst those other royal blue ones. To help lift our eyes only briefly out of the grave and somber circumstances that surround us on a daily basis. And help us to catch a glimpse of the goodness of our God in the sovereign grace worked out by the joyful birth of his beloved son, our Lord Jesus. And that within the, the womb of a young virgin from the Israelite tribe of Judah. So what I want us to do today uh, is take a look at the source of that joy and how we can hold on to it even when everything else in our lives seems to be upside down. And, and we're going to be doing it by looking at a piece of sacred music. Uh, one that we examine every year at this time, a Christmas song, actually. Uh, but not the, the silly kind with talking snowmen and red-nosed reindeer. Uh, but one about the tremendous miracle of a virgin-born king and the radical implications of his universal reign. Uh, not only in the kingdom that's coming, but in the here and now circumstances that are common to all of us. And that song is the song of the Virgin Mary when she found out that she was to be the mother of our Lord. And that comes to us from Luke chapter 1. So if you have your own Bibles there in front of you that you're following along in. And I'm going to be reading to you from the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter. I'm going to be reading to you verses 46 to 55. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the true and living God. Luke tells us, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich sent them away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the testimony of so many faithful witnesses to the the life, the death, and the birth of your Son. And we thank you especially today, Lord, for the words of Mary that we've read, and we ask that you would lend us your Holy Spirit to enable us to understand them, to write them on our hearts, and to inspire in us the same song of joy that she had. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, our text this morning is really a lectionary staple uh, this time of year, particularly for the third Sunday of Advent. Uh, that section is sometimes referred to as the Magnificat, uh, which is just simply the first word of the Latin version of the text, and it means to magnify, which is what Mary's song is all about, right? Magnifying God's plan of salvation in the birth of Jesus, her son, and even though he hadn't been born yet at the time that she sings it, Mary still wants to praise him and to magnify his name and to give glory to God 
the announcement of the great promise that he was about to keep. And for that promise, though, to kind of catch that promise, you've got to back up about 20 verses or so earlier in the text where we find the appearance of the angel Gabriel. So if you still have your Bible open, back up to Luke 20, uh, 126, chapter 1, verse 26. It tells us in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. You guys, you guys remember the story, right? The angel Gabriel appears to Mary and announces to her that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. Uh, and even though Mary's confused at, by the idea at first, she, she submits to the Lord. An amazing thing happens. You skip down to verse 35, we're told the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy. He'll be called the Son of God. And after this incredible announcement and this miraculous conception, Mary is so filled with joy, she just got to share the news with someone. And so she goes off to visit her relative Elizabeth, who, remember from last week, I was expecting a miraculous child of her own, right? And, and when the two women meet, they're both so overcome with joy at everything that's taken place in both of their lives that they just break into songs of worship and praise. And so when Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, by that she means that thanks to the Holy Spirit, she has understood in her head what the Word of God says, but even more importantly, she's believed wholeheartedly in the truths that he's revealed in. And church, that's the beginning point of all true and joyful worship of God and of an understanding of the realities about him because true worship does not depend on the flutter of your emotions, but it depends on spiritually understanding the scriptures. I am Mary showing us today uh, that exact thing in the way that she worshiped because Mary's whole life was thoroughly soaked in scripture. And uh, we know that for sure because of the words that Mary speaks. Because this song of hers is so similar to the songs that she would have learned from her childhood. The songs of the Old Testament, like the song that Hannah sang when she gave birth to Samuel. And the song of Miriam in the book of Exodus. And the music of the songs. You see, when Mary uh, knew the word of God, it just naturally came out of her when she worshipped. Causing her to do what all godly adoration should do, which is to take the focus off of ourselves and to put it on to Savior. Praising God and being joyful for what God is doing in and for us, even when we don't deserve it. That's why in, uh, in Luke 1, 48 and 49, Mary sings, For he took notice of his lowly servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy. He's done great things for me. That's a beautiful sentiment on her part, isn't it? Uh, which makes it all the more strange, even though the scriptures have quite a lot to say to us about Mary, that we Protestants tend to ignore her. And when we are ignoring her, we've kind of developed a, a certain distrust, if not an outright disdain, for spending any time considering her life. Uh, and we've actually talked plenty about other personalities, right? We spend a a ton of time on the Apostle Paul and all that he stands for. We look at great characters from the Old Testament like Abraham and Moses. 
When we talk about pivotal figures in the New Testament, like Matthew and Mark and Luke, we even managed to work in famous women like Rachel and Ruth and Rahab and the sisters Mary and Martha. But we seem to have an aversion to talking about the mother of our Lord. Now, I think in part that comes from our natural reformed aversion to the Roman Catholic heresy of elevating Mary to near equality with the Trinity. But, but it seems to me that like the Roman Catholics have swung to, to one extreme, uh, we Protestants have kind of gone to the other. And as with most things, there's a balance to be had. Because, you know, when we look at the Bible, it actually says, it does say that Mary will be blessed. But don't forget, it also says that it is God who is the one who's holy. Right? Now, some folks, I think, have mixed that up, um, especially when they... Uh, I call Mary holy, as in that, that prayer from the Rosary, Holy Mary, Mother of God. Uh, but brothers and sisters, it is God and God alone who is holy. Amen. Uh, the, the scriptures are crystal clear uh, that although Mary was the mother of our Lord and blessed immeasurably beyond any other human woman that will ever draw breath, Mary was a regular person just like the rest of us. Uh, and, and remember this, she didn't have to be sinless so that Jesus could be born without sin. Our Lord Jesus was born without sin because he didn't have an earthly father. But he was instead the incarnation of the Holy One of Israel in the form and the substance of humanity. He, he was the very Shekinah glory from above the tabernacle, now resting in the rough-hewn wood of a feed trough. He was the very Word of God, delivered through a very human, albeit virgin, womb. And, and right in the text, Mary reveals her knowledge of this. In recognition of her own lowly state and her modesty and her meekness of heart in the face of these great revelations from heaven. Because she actually says, God my Savior. Right? God my Savior. Acknowledging that she was a sinner in need of a Savior just like everyone else. And she also refers to herself as the maidservant of God. You see, she knows that she doesn't automatically deserve anything from the Lord. But she wants to just serve him. And please him, and she realizes it's only because of God's grace that from then on, all generations will call her blessing. And when she says that, it's not a statement of pride. It's simply a remembrance and an acknowledgement of what the angel Gabriel had already said to her earlier. Remember, he's the one that said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And she has been blessed. She is the most favored woman on the face of the earth. But that should not, church, lead us to idolize her, which is something I'm absolutely confident that Mary would not have wanted. But rather, wanting to show us that those of us who are brought into the kingdom are all blessed as we receive the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ the same way that she, that she did. And I've shared this with you before, but it, but it bears repeating. Uh, Luke's gospel actually spells this out later in the story of Jesus' life. When Luke recounts a day where Jesus is teaching and a woman shouts out from the crowd to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you. And listen to how Jesus answers her. He says in Luke eleven twenty-eight to the woman, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Now Jesus wasn't trying to downplay the significance of Mary's blessing, but he was putting her blessedness in perspective. Because as we've already seen, Mary was blessed because of her knowledge of and her obedience to the Word of God. And, and Jesus reveals here that if you and I want the true joy of the Advent season, 
if we want to be blessed just as much, if not more, than Mary, all we have to do is do the same thing Mary did, which is to hear the word of God and obey it. It's that simple. That's what it all comes back to. The word of God must be heard and joyfully obeyed because that's where the true worship of God springs from. Uh, that's where a true joy from God comes from, whether you're Mary in the first century or you and me today. If we want to worship God like he wants to be worshipped, we have to get into the word. Uh, you have to get this book into your head and into your heart. And Mary's song spells that out. It spells out that understanding perfectly. And as she continues in her song, she tells us she understands, too, not only what God has done for her through his word, but the joy that she had in what God was doing for the world and in setting things back to life. So she says in verses 50 to 53 of Luke chapter 1, he shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things to scatter the proud and haughty ones, brought down princes from their thrones and exalted that's a pretty bold statement, right? For a first century Jewish woman. Uh, probably not what you picture when you think, you know, round, gone virgin, mother and child, sleeping in heavenly peace. That you see printed on those Christmas cards we get this time of year. But from his very first breath, from the very beginning in the Bethlehem stable, the life of Jesus presented a potent threat to the status quo, uh, both in the realms of the physical and the spiritual. Because the birth of Mary's child was a seminal moment in Satan's defeat and the first really tangible sign that the sin-dominated reign of mankind was due. Why is that? Because the Bible says of the increase of the Messiah's government, there would be no end. And that he would be the one to rule from the throne of his father David and nobody else. In his commentary on this text, Doug Wilson writes, Bethlehem was the opening gambit in the last great campaign of the long war. Many centuries after our father Adam had first plunged our race into the insanity of sin, God finally made his opening move. Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born under law, was born to fulfill every one of the numerous promises that God had made during that long night. You know, just like last week, too, in that long night, the birth of Jesus was a rude awakening for the powers that be. Because although Mary gave birth to Jesus in poverty, it wasn't in obscurity. Just because his first bed was in a stable did not mean he was not at the center of the ultimate conclusion of the universe. And although Mary may have given birth at night, it wasn't a birth that went unnoticed. Particularly among those on the top rungs. Because Jesus was not born into the world to be obscure. It attracted attention. And it attracted attention of the rulers of this world, the human as well as the demonic. And I'll give you just a couple examples to, to show you that. If you remember, we're told in the Far East that political and religious leaders were tipped off about the birth by a star that appeared in the sky. Same time in Jerusalem, uh, in its royal courts, demons whispered dark paranoia into Herod's ears about possible threats to his reign. Until he eventually killed several members of his own family to protect the crown. Uh, then almost as if on cue, those oriental astrologers rode into town with their news of another potential rival, this time in the form of a newborn baby. That was not his. So he wasted no time in sending soldiers to try and rectify that, leaving the Holy Family with no 
choice but to flee the pagan land of Egypt and the power of Pharaoh. Later during his earthly ministry, our Lord forcibly dethroned legions of demons and lifted their clutches off the lives of his people. And when Jesus was condemned to die, he was condemned by a Roman governor at the insistence of a mob who were stirred up by the National Congress of Jews. So you see, church, the life of Jesus from beginning to end was a very public life. And it was a very radical political statement. And the God of heaven has made a point of leaving all the rulers of this world, then and now, without excuse for defying them. The Apostle Peter tells us as much in a sermon at Pentecost, actually almost repeating the theme of Mary's Magnificent without actually reciting it verbatim. He says in Acts chapter 2, the fellow Israelites, listen to this, that Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourself know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David, his ancestor, said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. And David was a prophet. He knew that God had promised on oath that he would place one of his own descendants on his throne. As the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And church, he was not just Lord and Messiah of those who believe and receive him, but he is Lord and Messiah of every aspect of everyone's life, from the lowest hired hand to the CEO of the largest corporation. From the most obscure citizen of any nation to the greatest dignitaries. And all are called to repent and believe the gospel and come to a saving knowledge of the truth. Because the birth of Jesus is infinitely more than just the reason for the season. He's the Lord of this season. And church, he didn't come down here to work out a power-sharing agreement with whoever the would-be Caesar of the day might be. Globalist. No, he came to claim what was his by right. And that includes you and me, along with all the joyful praise that we can muster, regardless of what the world thinks. That's why we see that uh, funny little uh, chorus, that, that old English text in the Christmas carol that we just did before the service that goes, This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. Right, that, that's laud, L-A-U-D, it's not Lord. As in high praise in a public setting, joyfully given no matter what the circumstances are. That's why Philippians 4.4 tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Because church, as Mary said in the closing lines of her song, all because he remembered to be merciful. And church, we have the proof of that. We have the proof of that in the stunning reality of the life, 
the death and resurrection of the one whom Our Lady magnified in the beautiful music of Advent. Not herself, but the Messiah of Israel, the Savior of sinners, the babe in the manger, the joy of the world, whose birth we celebrate today and always. Amen. Amen. Pray with me. God, our Father, we thank you for this joyous Advent season. We praise and thank you, Lord, for being willing to send your Son to be born in the lowly manger, to live and to die and to rise again so that we can have the hope of eternal life. And Lord, we ask you to send us out into the world in joy. Send us out with a message of hope and peace for all those that we encounter. And fill us, Lord, with your Spirit so that we can share this message. We thank you for all that you're about to do for us this week. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. Amen.